Hello and welcome to the Ballot Box Global Election Coverage from a team of political scientists. I'm Jonathan Parker in London. I'm Chris Terry in Manchester. I'm Andres Besser in New York City. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the ballot box. This week we're taking a bit of a, a bit of a detour to Brazil. Many democracies today, Brazil is quite troubled politically. Um, it shares the dubious distinction with the US of having undergone the coronavirus pandemic with a far-right president in charge. Um, and in, in addition to the baseline challenges which face many uh, Latin American democracies, so inequality, low capacity states, weak parties, um, machismo, political violence, um, Brazil so it seems particularly troubled because of its recent political history, um, the, the history of the, of the kind of last decade where the left wing president Rousseff was ousted from the presidency in her second term, um, the President Temer was installed, and then finally in 2018, um, the far-right president, Jair Bolsonaro, won the presidency. Um, but there seems like there in, in this year that there may be a possibility of change um, in, the, in the upcoming general elections. In the last episode, when we looked ahead to 2022, we said that we listed Brazil as one of the most um, important elections of the year, um, largely because in many ways, Brazil's democracy is, a, is at stake. Bolsonaro is an explicitly anti-democratic politician. Um, unlike many other kind of far-right leaders, he doesn't really hide that. Um, and Brazil is, is massively consequential for the region um, as a whole. It's a major economic and political power in Latin America um, and for the whole world, given that Bolsonaro's policies um, on the Amazon rainforest are, are kind of very detrimental to the entire planet as well as his policies towards the indigenous peoples of the of Brazil and the Amazon have been described by the Brazilian Senate themselves as, as, as crimes against humanity and, and possibly even genocide. Um, the 2022 uh, competition looks like it's going to be a, a sort of straight fight between Bolsonaro and former president uh, Lula da Silva, who was um, in office for much of the 2000s and a major figure in um, in Brazilian politics for many decades. And is probably one of the most significant political figures in, in the whole of Latin America. These two figures um, come from, um, were, were born in, in the same state in Sao Paulo, but they've come from very different um, political subcultures. This usually on this podcast, we're, we're usually discussing politics in quite an institutionalist way. You'll long time listeners will know that we, we have a, a kind of big focus talking about electoral systems and um, presidentialism and things like this. But uh, given that the, the nature of this election is very focused on these two kind of oversized characters, um, which are very steeped in Brazil's history and culture, um, we thought that we should we should take a uh, take some time to focus on these figures, um, discuss their, their kind of lives and their positions and and where where they come from, how Brazil's um, recent history has shaped that. And to do that, we are joined by um, a special guest today, Julia Blunk, who's a, a, a Brazilian freelance writer who writes on Brazilian and British politics. Um, Julia's written for Prospect magazine, for the New Statesman, for the Guardian before, um, and also writes for the the Social Review blog and appears on their podcast as well. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Julia. Hi, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Very excited to have Julia, as uh, we've all read her texts, which are amazing. And mm. we, we recommend that our listeners do that if they haven't already, because uh, truly a gifted writer and, and a great uh, eye for uh, as a political analyst. So very, yeah. very glad that you could make it. Yeah, I'd uh, particularly recommend Julia's um, long read on Bolsonaro that uh, was in the December 
edition of Prospect Magazine. As, uh, I think you can find that on their website fairly easily. So uh, Johnny's done a really good job of setting the scene of of what to, of what's going on in Brazil. Um, I, I think it's hard to it's hard to imagine what it's been like living under Bolsonaro's government. Um, and I, I recently read a book by Masha Gessen called Surviving Autocracy. And she describes this sort of bewilderment of living during the Trump era in the United States, not knowing what's farce, what is actual kind of a dismantling of institutions and norms. Um, would this sort of bewilderment sound familiar to you in, in Brazil and, and was living um, in, you know, in Brazil under Bolsonaro, something, something like this sort of um, just absolute uh, kind of um, confusing and nauseating experience. So, yes, I think there is like this aspect, like I think because living under Trump, I think was fairly new uh, to like to the whole world. I think everybody in the whole world had like had the experience of Trump for the first time ever. But the experience of Bolsonaro had like this this thing that is like generational, which is like because my family is like fairly left wing, like you grow up like listening. Oh, at the time of the dictatorship, you can do this, you can do that. It's so like it, it, it's sort of like it's very much first as tragedy, then as farce. It was sort of like that, but also like but also as tragedy again. There there was like this constant like. And at times I wasn't in Brazil, I was either in Britain or somewhere else. And, and people would send me tests and said, oh, like, if you can like not come back or, or just stay there or like, don't, I was like, well, that's not legal. But like, uh, whenever like I was in a situation where like, I, I started living in these situations where like, you go, well, you don't know where, you don't know basically what's the bottom, like, what's the bottom, like, like, like because usually with like every bad president and every bad politician, you usually like know up, up until where they will push, uh, not knowing where things will end or like what's the red line or how far things will go. Like it, it, it creates like a sense of like heightened like stakes that, 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 that make your like, you know, make the mindset like much harder. But at the same time, you also have like this this generational memory of like what a dictatorship was like and what the things happen and like, you know, should you have money, you know, should you have money like left aside in case you have to run off in the middle of the night? You know, like if they close down Congress, how fast can you leave the country? Do you have like, fam uh, family abroad do they know like what is going on with you like can you like ask for asylum the next and why can't it's these things that like you've learned what when you were a kid and you sort of learned in like you know like it's part of like a distant past that like mm. suddenly like they become very relevant to you because even though like that democratic rupture never happened that sense of paranoia never leaves or you you can't it's it's that that's one that's the main difference i think with trump like we we it, it, although bolsonaro is much more unserious than the people who were in charge during the, the dictatorship he was also like he's from that lineage mm -hmm. so like it, it's it's like this this past that you can never forget like and then you start to like 
yourself having to experience it. So it's like, it's sort of like a repetition of like your parents' trauma, which is like not a, it's not like a great thing to experience, you know? I was going to say, I mean, I, I, I wrote down a quote from your article and it said that I'm going to read um, for the benefit of the audience and then ask you a question about a follow-up question to what you just said. You wrote, sometimes it hardly seems to matter to Bolsonaro's style of politics that he is in fact in power. Like a Hollywood reboot of a classic horror film, he draws inspiration from the original coup and attracts fans by playing on the strength of nostalgia for the iconic original. Slogans are repeated, symbols reappropriated and adapted to suit the modern audience's expectations. I mean, that's just a, a kind of a snippet of how well Julia writes um, about Brazilian politics, but what is this original coup? I mean, a lot of our listeners won't be aware, are not are not necessarily aware of of kind of um, Cold War history in Brazil. What is the original coup that that's being talked about, and and why does it loom large in in the memory of Brazilians? Um, and it's been revived um, under Bolsonaro. So Brazil. Um... It's a very young democracy, it's like most countries in Latin America. It had like a dictatorship uh, from the 60s until the 80s and 1964 until 1984, like, 1985, like a new president takes on. Um, these are like 20 years where like it, it was uh, a military dictatorship. It was governed by a junta, so like it was different presidents. It wasn't like one same guy like Pinochet, which is, I think it's, I think it's the one that like most people abroad have in mind, but like it's off that style, um, you know, deposed the left-wing leader and um, came in as to like during the, the, the Cold War context. And, but unlike most countries or, or, or like some countries, there has never been the reckoning with that past. Uh, like the, the military basically just went, well, we're, we're leaving, but now, you know, that's it. Like, like we're not gonna, like nobody's gonna get prosecuted. Like no crimes will be investigated. Like that, that's, those are the conditions for us leaving. It's like, we leave, we leave that well alone. Um, and besides that, it has all, it, it, like many countries in Latin America, it has also had like a, troubled economic, um, you know, scenario. So like these things might seem not necessarily like immediately connected, but like in our minds, they are connected because every time the economy starts to like look shaky, um, there's an expectation. It's like, well, but what are the, the, the consequences for the democracy? Because it, it's basically like, since I was very young, so I was born in 91, so like 30 years ago, for 30 years, every time, like there, Brazil sort of like has like that corner of its history that you're not supposed to address, you know? But at the same, but in the, in the way that like family secrets that you're not supposed to address, they always end up becoming sort of the subtext of every conversation you have with like, with your parents or with your grandma or whatever that that has always been like around so basically like you know during any like economic troubles people just go 
oh, you know, this is going to allow certain sectors to express a certain type of dissatisfaction. This is like, this is the, the psychological impact it had like on somebody who is Brazilian. It's like always knowing that like the possibility of a democratic rupture was much, it was always much more possible than it would be for like a, until very recently an American person or, or a British person, which is like, it's not like something that they consider it on day-to-day -day politics. Um, you know, like if, if inflation is high, nobody thinks, well, that means that the military is going to try to like bring down the, the government. The, so yeah, if in, in a couple of words, basically, Brazil had the route of like traditional Latin American countries. Um, it had like leftist, uh, it elected it elected one president, that president um, stepped down. It's vice president who was a leftist, João Goulart, um, was, could not like step in because he, he was considered too radical by the, the militaries at the time. And he, uh, he was then like deposed. Uh, there was a 20 year dictatorship where a junta, can, uh, uh, Capitalist junta like took over control of the country. It was aligned with the West in um, during the, the the Cold War. I, mm. I, basically, it. And, and it's my understanding in Brazil that after the after the, the the government of the junta falls and there's a transition to democracy, um, there's a period of neoliberal adjustment. Um, like all of Latin America, there's shock therapy and austerity. Um, and mm -hmm. then a period of like technocratic leaning governments. And then um, in the in the kind of mid noughties, the emergence of the of the left right in in Brazil. Um, and it's yeah. a left, I guess, that uh, hadn't been really hadn't really been seen in Brazil and uh, for, 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 for many decades. Um, but it was extremely successful um, in the first in the presidency of, of Lula and then with Rousseff, obviously, uh, popularity started to to diminish, um, and there was a kind of a backlash and, and a huge corruption scandal. Would you mind maybe um, telling us a little bit about uh, this kind of period of the of the resurgence of the left in Brazil, and and the the centrality of Lula there, and then maybe we can go into Lula's kind of um, biography and and kind of the who he is. Mm -hmm. So, um, Lula has been, uh, like, he's basically the main character of the Brazilian left. Um, for, for, since, like, the 1970s, the 1980s, he has been, he's a unionist. Uh, he comes from, like, he, he's, a, he's very working class. He's very popular. He has a very... It's impossible to understate how how charismatic he is in terms of like uh, his capacity to connect to like large crowds, and also his capacity to like project like project a certain image of Brazil, which is sort of like the image that uh, foreigners have of Brazil. Like so, like that person who's like 
very like upbeat, very warm, everyone's best friend and, and like capable of like, he's as comfortable, you know, in a week meeting Fidel Castro and Chavez and then like taking the airplane and going to meet George Bush. This was something he did regularly when he was president. Um, but basically when he started out with his first early programs, he was quite, uh, he was seen as quite radical. He was uh, in, in the first democratic election that he lost, uh, he was he was tarred as, as like this, this left-wing um, radical who would, you know, break into people's homes and force you to take in a homeless person because, you know, that's how he approached problems and he would like, uh, you know, abolish private property and, you know, a lot of nasty personal accusations as well. And subsequently in 94 and 98, when Brazil managed to solve its currency problem, it finally like got a, a stable currency with uh, Fernando Henrique Cardoso, who used to be a, a left-wing intellectual and then became like a center-right one. He was once again tarred as like this, this person who was out of touch with economics, who would bring back like, he would ruin all the effort, all the pain that we went through would have been for nothing. Like, you know, let's not let him in, blah, blah, blah. So like in the 2000s, 2002, he was done with losing. He adopted this very moderate, very like, I, I do call him like the, the, the most successful example of third wave uh, ideology because he basically did that model. He, he basically like came in in the 2000s and because the, the, the economic conditions were fa favorable and they'd allowed for like a third way model to work, he just implemented that and he was, um, and that, that made him like even more so uh, the protagonist of, of the Brazilian left because you know, not only he became like the first left-wing politician who was able to take power and stay in power and be, you know, respected and uh, stable in power. He was also like, by, by any account that you look, the most successful president like in, in Brazilian modern history, at least since Getulio Vargas, you know, and the most successful who fully democratically. You know, and unlike, you know, Chavez or some other like examples of like uh, people who came in in the pink tide, he was always like completely fully democratic. He, he like never, there was never like any speculation that like, there was speculation during of corruption scandals, but there were no speculations that he would do a break with democracy. So that that is also like very important psychologically. And it's very important psychologically because like, um, now, when you have a situation where, where democracy is at risk, there's some people who try to like make a false equivalence with, with Lula. And they say, well, well, he's also risked democracy. And that, that doesn't stick in people's minds because they remember what the Lula years were. Um, Lula is, a, is a possibly one of the most interesting characters of the 21st century. I, I do think, well, I haven't lived that long, but like, um, I do think that like it's impossible not to like look at him and find him, uh, you know, just just this incredible figure, and and I mean this for good and for ill, because like 
he resembles nothing as much as like uh i feel like a lot of people are going to get angry at me for, for saying that but he resembles nothing as much as logan roy from secession uh because he's like the self-made man you know he's this guy who came out of nowhere he like built his own life he, he constantly says this in every speech he makes like i escaped hunger to become president of brazil this is not something that happens brazil is a very unequal country is a country that is like very cruel to its like lower classes and like when he says escape hunger what he does mean is like dying of hunger which was a normal fate for children of his generation you know and i think psychologically that's a huge impact on him he's a survivor he's like he's a guy who whatever it takes to like continue doing things things and staying alive he will do and it's also very important politically for him because like you know you could convince him to like go more to the right on certain things or go more to the left on others but the bottom line for him is like he thinks that hunger is an obscenity he thinks that like hunger is is like a, a an actual political evil so like you're not going to be able to like get him like to not focus on that everything else i think if he can do that if he can just like get like with that which he calls like give the poor dignity everything else like is acceptable to like push aside and like the reason why i said the logan roy thing is because like i think also his biggest failure is that like when you look at him as a politician he was not able to produce a viable heir you know and if if you if your entire politics cannot have an heir, heir like then that says something about you as a political father the fact that like after the the boom of the lula years which were very which allowed for like this expansion of the what what is called like as known as the lower middle classes so it was like people who by international standards are poor quite poor but they managed to start to be able to like get access to to um things which are were traditionally upper class so like taking their children to private universities you know uh using airplanes even things like buying cars buying meat every week like these are things that like the lower middle classes managed to like start doing in the 2000s you know they started they they became able to like do things which are like sound so simple but like buying their children like jeans from like shops that uh you know for, that weren't like quite so like quite so like bad so like that th those things were like things that like people associate with the lula years but then the fact that like 12 years after the lula decade uh we are having to like ask for him to like the the brazilians left like is left with nothing but going like oh can you could you just do that again is like it's it's like a, it's a big you know statement against him as a politician i think but but yeah like i i think if i if i could like paint this picture in you guys mind i would like picture like a logan roy of the left this 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 man who is like self-made very powerful very good at what he does with this like immense empire 
that is like very impressive, but who for a series of circumstances has no viable heir and is all down to him doing his magic again. And nobody's quite sure if he's still capable of pulling the same trick twice, you know? That would be my definition. It's so interesting to hear about Lula and, and hear about him in non, I mean, to think back at that time, those were the good days, right? Um, and, and they were for a lot of Latin American countries because of the export boom towards China. Um, and and Brazil is often, I think, is, is thought by many to have been the successful version of redistribution in the 21st century in Latin America because it managed to maintain a relative balance of currency and inflation and still be very ambitious in its redistribution policies. So Julia, you were talking about like consumption, but also services like, like um, universities. There was also kind of cultural, a cultural transformation, right? I believe. So I think there was much more of a frank discussion about race and racism and about gender in, in Brazil that, that, that I think the legacy of the dictatorship might have in many ways have um, made taboo topics, right? Um, I know that like the discussions around race and gender in, in Latin America are much less explicit than they are, say, in the English-speaking world, but they're they're just as necessary, I think. Um, so, do you also think that there was a series of like cultural transformations that the fact that Dilma Rousseff as a woman could reach the presidency was this also part of a transformation, or do you see these as kind of like um, different? different parts of the Brazilian story. So like, this is actually really interesting. Um, there were definitely like big advances uh, culturally, like specifically in, the, in, in terms of like race. Uh, that, that's like, that's like one of like my favorite data from, from like that um, period. The, the number of people who started to identify as mixed race in Brazil rose during the Lula years, but there is no, there is no like evidence to show that this was, you know, because of like any particular cause. It was just people who had, because of like the societal impulse in Brazil had been up until that point to like assimilate into whiteness. It was just people who started to take pr pride in their mixed race uh, heritage. And then people who started to like take pride of their black heritage, which is like, it's, so those transformations definitely happen, but like it, it would be incorrect, I think, to like believe that Lula was, um, you know, like a cultural warrior. The cultural aspects of, of of his presidency were always there, but like they were all, they were never the thing that he was passionate about. He was very like his main aspect, of, like of passion, has always been an aspect of class. Like he, he, you know, it's, it's hard when you, when you haven't seen it, but like, there must be like any sub, like his speech is subtitled somewhere, but like the way that he talks about poverty is very moving. It's like, he talks about, he talks about these little things that like, if you, if you haven't experienced them and, and I'm from a very comfortable middle-class uh, background, which like, 
we can't really imagine like he talks about like how his clothes like stuck to him after a hot days uh hot day of work his clothes were uncomfortable and rough and he didn't like them and he said i like wearing suits i like wearing suits because i had to wear overalls my whole life so like th these have always been his passions you know like very much like a a, a class bias on like on certain aspects i think like he was sound almost like absurdly conservative like um i remember like during the dilma campaign they pressed her like she said i consider abortion a matter of public health i'm not pro-abortion personally i'm catholic but because it's a public health issue you know women should have access to to, to that and that was like a, a huge pressure that, that that rose up and and she had to like quietly drop it equally uh in government the brazilian government had like several times to drop like lgbt issues because they were seen as like too contentious with their evangelical base so but that said like he also was he wasn't like a conservative class warrior either like he was somebody who, you know, was sympathetic, but not active in those, you know, struggles. And he, he was always like willing to drop some certain agendas if he could focus on the things that he cared about. One of the things that is interesting that I, I think comes from the Lula years is like the, the issue of like national pride. One of the things that Lula like, was also obviously like quite like invested on was the 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 issue of projecting brazil as this uh, important nation so like he wanted to do things like the world cup and the olympics and you can say well those were bad ideas but like if they were part of a project for him to create a country that looked good from abroad that people from abroad could see it and and, and be like this is a new brazil a Brazil that like works and it's it's a Brazil that who's ready to sit at the big boy table. You know, this this is something that like he he mentions quite a lot in terms of foreign policy. He says uh, Brazil is not subordinate to the US. It's a friend of the US, but it's also a friend to other countries. You know, the that national prize prize, I think, was like the cultural aspect that like lula most emphasized so it, it was a culture it, and it it does kind of is sort of like enveloped in certain like problematic problematic aspects of brazilian culture so like there's the myth the myth of like um miscegenation as like this oh it's a great mixed race society so you know that's our strength and and our pride but like when you look into actual data like the lighter your skin color, the better you do, and the, the the darker your skin color, the more likely you are to be in poverty, and the more likely you are to like, you know, be killed by the police. But and and he did play into those stereotypes a little bit, but he he always did it in the intention of building a uh, a country that you know that he thought all Brazilians could take pride in. I think that's that's the cultural ethos of of Lula, somebody who is you know quietly sympathetic to progressive causes, but um, not 
active. This is one of his difficulties as well, I would say, uh, with, with like a new left that is rising, you know, who is much more attuned to like, ident and he's very good at like keeping up with how the discourse goes, but uh, you can see this sort of like nervous, like clashes in the, in the broader left leftist project in Brazil right now. As most listeners will know, Lula was succeeded by Dilma Rousseff and Dilma Rousseff was um, famously impeached in a, a series of corruption scandals. Lula was himself jailed um, in a now controversial um, trial, which has been overturned um, as politically motivated. Um, what what kind of led to this series of uh, this kind of backlash, the, the kind of weaponization of corruption? How did that kind of uh, set the scene for what came afterwards? So it's it's large part I would say like economics, but also you know there is sort of like a perverse element where Doma was sort of like victim of the the workers' party's own success, where like more people became more middle class and as they become more middle class they you know you can't just give us like you know hand us over some food and like expect us to like thank thank you every every like election now like no now we actually have demands uh which is sort of like a, a perverse sort of thing but i would say like the, the the main issue was economic as the economy started to slow down as the commodities boom started to die out, as you know, all these issues started to mount up, uh, there was like this great insatisfaction. There was uh, rumbling on. It's it's important to say that the Lula government has never been squeaky clean. It has never been seen as a squeaky clean government, um, other than maybe like in a couple of years during like the first mandate, but like. You know, it, it was always seen as a, you know, as a government who who might like do things like to like less than perfectly honest means, but like it, it gets things done. So we're not going to question that. However, as the economy starts to slow down, and you can track that pretty pretty well, because Dilma was actually this. People forget about this. She was actually quite popular until 2013. And then in 2013, there was um, the, the, the economy starts to slow down. There were, there were these um, giant protests called the, the, journey, the Journeys of June, which were initially about like bus fare, like a bus fare rise across the, the country but then suddenly become sprawl into this wave of dissatisfaction and that like damages her popularity quite a lot. But, you know, uh, <clears throat> at that point, the corruption scandal starts to cut. And while like the, 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 the journeys of June can't be like characterized as like primarily right wing, they, there was a very strong right-wing element to it. Uh, that element included a lot of people who were far right and who like who wanted like the return of the dictatorship. Dilma was 
uh, she was a poor choice for, for successor. There's no, there's no two words about it. Uh, she, she had like a very choppy water to, to navigate and she navigated poorly. Um, and though she won 2014, fundamentally won thanks to like Lula going like, you know, campaigning, going like, you know, hey, let's not risk it bringing back like, it, you know, inequality and lose our gains and etc. By the time that she took over again, like like her so second term started in, in 20, uh, 2015, she fundamentally could not, it, it was obvious like in retrospect that she could not stay in power because the economy wasn't working. Uh, Congress was actively hostile in, in, in a way that like, and she was very bad at like political handling. Uh, this is this is another one of Lula's gifts. He, he is, he's a guy who can handle the Brazilian Congress very well and the Senate very well. That's like, that's a body that is, those are bodies that were very hard to handle. If like, if you don't, especially from the left because they tend to be conservative bodies. If, if, you, if you're not very skilled as a political operator, you know, they absolutely destroy you and, and, and make governing impossible. And in that context, like the, the corruption scandal starts to sink in. So this huge like uh, corruption, you know, operation, operation car wash, uh, which was led by, by this judge called Judge Moro, who's now running for president um, against Lula, even though he arrested, like one of those quirky things in Brazil, even though he arrested Lula, he's now running for president against a man that he um, was responsible for sending in jail. Um, so Operation Car Wash starts to like create this, this, this aspect over the workers party that it's like, it's both bad at the, it's it's so corrupt that it's making the the country's economy crash, and it is under that panorama that like Bolsonaro, who had who I think is like, it's hard to like explain like he was like this 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 figure of like contempt. He was like a dinosaur that people in the Brazilian media like to give attention to sometimes kind of to go like kind of just scoff at him um but he was like this this representative of like a right wing that like uh Brazil sort of like to pretend that wasn't there anymore he was like very very homophobic very very like conservative very like openly racist often said things like we should have killed like a hundred thousand Brazilians as to like get them going to get like get things going like the dictatorship should have killed more people to act to manage to actively get things moving again uh, you know very like openly like disdain the dictatorship said that like uh, former president Fernando Henrique should have been shot under the under the conditions of like Dilma Rousseff's crumbling government. Bolsonaro becomes like a, a galvanizing figure, almost like the spite of himself. You know, 
because he's not like if you watch him talk like he's not like a particularly charismatic guy uh you know he has it, it, it he has almost no qualities as a politician but you know he start like people start to think you know we need a guy who is willing to get things done you know and and, and the the scenario is very fortuitous for him because there was the sense that the politicians were all the same they were all corrupt they were so corrupt that they broke the economy you know you know the country wasn't working politically congress and senate and federal government were constantly against each other, each other. brazil had what like the 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 Rousseff impeachment um well, I wouldn't qualify it as um, as a break with democratic order. I would qualify it as as a dishonest use of democratic means. Um, because you know, in in the same way that like you could like you could depose, you could like find some like bogus excuse and depose Biden right now. And you can't do that democratically. You can like find like a, a crime that you think could work and then you could like depose this person. They they found like a type of minor, you know, legal rambling that, that Rousseff had done that served as an excuse for an impeach. And like that is part of the democratic system. Yeah, sure. You, you can do that, but it is a dishonest use of why that mechanism is there. Yeah, it's, it's my understanding that in the end, the formal charge against Dilma Rousseff is something to do with uh, budget, uh, kind of yeah, it's budget like a, management. It's like a budget, that, that, yeah. Right, that's like, you know, and, and the penalty for that is totally disproportionate. You would never oust a president for that if there wasn't a huge degree of politics behind it, right? Yeah. So like the letter of the law, the process was 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 carried out but it clearly what you're saying julia it, it was clearly violating the spirit of why that um why that uh, uh, kind of um uh, uh check was put in place in the constitution for right yeah you know it, technically it was like much much closer to to the parliamentarian like concept of like a conf, uh, no confidence vote like like but, but because like that system does not the presidential system is not made for that and because the the person who was in charge was from a different party it it, it is it's hard for me to ar uh, to argue like it's hard to see an argument that this was done you know in a in, in an honest manner you know, like, it's not that, like, it's not that it was undemocratic or, or that it was, like, some kind of, like, coup, but it was, it was, you know, clearly dishonest. It was clearly politically motivated. It was clearly not something you were expected to do with the president. And, like, you're not expected to, like, you know, remove the president from power and then put... You, you, you're putting on the VP, but like the VP now starts a completely different political project and that political project also 
uh, antagonizes your your former president and you you you're from another party like that that was that was like the yeah. thing but it, it, the thing why I, I bring up like Dilma Rousseff and Bolsonaro is because like I do think that like in this in this sort of like in the uh, dark sort of way they're sort of like linked to each other the, uh, Dilma Rousseff was a dictatorship uh, you know prisoner she was she was she was at the time she had been labeled like a terrorist but uh she she under underwent torture and all those things and the moment that like may bolsonaro like the man that that he is in terms of national projection was him during the impeachment impeachment vote scoffing like mocking the torture procedures that she went through you know and, and, and this is this is the sort of man that we're we're talking about and this is very emblematic of who he is and what was being you know voted for so you cannot understand understand Bolsonaro without without seeing that moment and seeing that like he sort of embodied this this wave of like regressive far-right sentiment that had begun to like uh, surround the country from 2013 on so you know that would be like the the, the circumstances of his rise yeah uh, yeah it's, it's, it was just uh i was thinking while you were talking about that the the way in which the kind of teme government came in as well uh, the fact it, the, the way it came in in that way and then the fact that he made this kind of big alliance with a kind of traditional center right I, I have the sense that that kind of helps discredit the kind of traditional center right as well <laughs> therefore kind of leaving this vacuum where a kind of anti-establishment figure could kind of emerge for sure like the, there was this this feeling that you know the country had shut down like it it's traditional routes under democracy had shut down and i i, I know i said like the thing about the family secret it's like the family secret is that there, there's like a, a, a person that we keep in the basement and we can hear them knocking on the walls our entire lives but we're not supposed to like you know acknowledge that and one day when the family starts to break apart for whatever reason that person comes out you know and then like they start to roam around the the, the living room and the reason why it happened is that because everything else had broken down all other like traditional routes have broken down like there was no like the center right by joining the the impeachment procedures had made it like itself discredited. It had been discredited because of the corruption scandals as well. The economy had not recovered under Tamer. So all those things had like a certain weight uh, to themselves. Um, I, uh, so uh, thank you for, for kind of explaining the context of the very recent Brazilian history 
and and both the kind of rise of the left and also the the circumstances under which there was a fall from grace of the left and and the rise of this extreme far right figure but but who is who is bolsonaro i mean i think we hear a lot about him on the news but we might not know a lot about his past and his biography and how his bio is linked to um, Brazilian history. So you you write, Julia, in, in your wonderful piece, born in 1955 in Glicerio, Sao Paulo State, to a lower middle-class family of Italian and German immigrants, Jair Bolsonaro is almost a perfect product of Brazilian recent history. What, what do you mean by this? Um, and how does this link up to what we've been talking about? So he, the thing is, um, he was a man whose rice, who who was very affected in in his childhood and and young young years by the project of the dictatorship. Um, there's this little detail in his biography, which is like he talks about it quite a lot, in the same way that Lula talks about how like he es escaped hunger to become president of Brazil. Bolsonaro like talks obsessively about this episode in which army deserter and turn like, you know, political uh, freedom fighter uh, named Lamarca, he hid like outside of Bolsonaro's town. And basically the entire army, this, this was a very small town. The, 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 the entire army, the Brazilian army descended into the woods to like find this man. And this is like this is like a thing that like stuck in his head so hard that he mentions it like all the time that he helped find him, that he like searched him, and that like he was he knew where, where uh, the Lamarca was hiding nearby, and like how how much he admired the man that that, that hunted for him. Um, this this was an obsession of his because. It, it, it was an obsession of him, his of like the power of the army. He's somebody who's like, he has, you know, he has that Trumpian thing of like being an iconoclast. Like he has no respect to institutions or traditions or, you know, people. The only thing that he shows respect for is a type of authoritarian power that comes from the Brazilian army. But it's it's not even like the power of the generals and the power of like, you know, the, the, the high brass of the military. It's the power that the, the, the Brazilian army had to like torture and kill during the dictatorship times. That That is like his main ethos, like the, his admiration. Um, so, his entire life is shaped by this. He, he went into military school as a young boy. Uh, he's very, you know, he, he enjoyed that environment a lot. Uh, he, when he, you know, moved on to the army as a, as a young, uh, young man, uh, the, the democratic forces started to take over and he he started like complaining about how soldiers and like uh, captains of, of like 
his station weren't being well paid. So this is what I mean about how like the thing that he like sympathizes with is not the the men of dictatorship who were you know generals and and who were president of and then therefore president of Brazil is the people of who were in power during the dictatorship who were the, the, the lowest ranked, not lowest, but like mid-tier like people who don't the people who had their hands like dipped in blood actually, not just like theoretically. You know, the, the this is this is like the parts of Brazilian history that he admires are not the parts of like the big projects or, or the ideologies behind it because this is like one of the things that like is interesting about the 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 economics of, of brazilian uh, society brazil like the, the 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 dictatorship was actually not uh it wasn't like like pinochet like quite neoliberal it was actually quite more uh, hands-on approach they had like that belief in the big state and and stuff like that. So like they weren't they weren't like you know following those examples, but and you can see that in him as well, where like he used to have like a very like you know big state view of like the economy, and then like and and indeed the reason why he was let go of the army is because he plotted to put a bomb in the bath bathroom as like a protest. Um, he gave those details to a journalist, the journalist published them. Uh, and then he was um, put in jail and then uh, dismissed from the army. Um, but you can see that like, like later on in his life, uh, he, does a liberal turn and he starts talking about how he actually believes in like free market and you know the forces of capitalism and all this stuff but those are not things that he believed like 20 that that's not a core of his ideology the core of, of his ideology is the violence of the brazilian state and this is this is sort of what i was saying what i say when i say that he's like the perfect product of brazilian uh history like he's the product of the the brazilian history of violence right now like i would say that most of his supporters you know even though his his support is like quite low right now most of his supporters are you know either like low-ranking army people or police uh, policemen um men who you know own like guns or, or or for some reason like they live in rural environments and they own guns to like you know uh for self-protection the, these are like it's a it's, it's the story of like this obsession with uh a certain type of violence that's that's what i mean by that he's a product of that um you know one of, and, one of and, the most um, one of the most chilling parts of your text on Bolsonaro is when you describe um, the speech he gave when voting to oust Rousseff 
uh, as president. And uh, I'll just read the paragraph because I have it here. It says, Bolsonaro galvanized all these forces as only he could. In his speech voting for Rousseff's impeachment, he praised Colonel Carlos Brillante Ustra, the notorious head of the dictatorship's torture union, which had brutalized Rousseff during her arrest as an anti-regime guerrilla in the 1970s. He showered praise on him as the terror of Gilma Rousseff. It's absolutely chilling, like um, kind of single paragraph in this, in this great text of yours. And it, it speaks exactly to what you're talking about. Um, yeah, and, and, and I, I do think, like, I know I've mentioned this, but like, I do think it's like, it's it's the most telling of things. Like, I, I, I don't accept when people say, oh, you know, we had no way of knowing that he would be that bad. Like, I, I don't accept that because I think that he he outright said it with every every possible worry that he had, that like, the, the person that he admired in the dictatorship was not, you know, Figueiredo or Costa Silva or Medici or, or, or Geisel, which were all, you know, presidents of Brazil. He didn't admire Delfinato. He didn't admire the economists of the dictatorship. He admired the man who was head of torture. That, like, that, that was, that's, that's his, like, you know, you can't go two ways about it. There was never a, a world where, like, this could possibly mean something else. It, it, it's it's just there was never like any pretense that this could like turn out to be any other thing. And yeah, nobody could predict the coronavirus or nobody could predict you know specifics of how his government went. But we could all see that the core of his project was to cause harm to people he considered to be fair game to cause harm. And, you know, whenever you see somebody saying, well, we don't know, we didn't know this at the time. No, the people who say this, they, they, they fundamentally believe that they didn't think that they would ever be in the category of people that it was okay for Bolsonaro to harm. Because like he, he was always very, very open to who he was, you know? He, he has never tricked anyone on, on that regard. Yeah, it's like that um, phrase that people sometimes used about Trump. Um, the cruelty is the point. It's like... Yeah. Pe pe well, like, pe I, people, elect people elected a bully, essentially, because some of those people wanted him to bully people. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah so. but I, it's not even that the cruelty is, is like the point is like the cruelty is the ideology as well mm. it's like it, the, the 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 whole system of belief is built out of the cruelty it is is built out, out of the belief that like you know yeah. it, the, the torture is good it, it, and it's like it's like you know it's interesting when you contrast him with lula i know i said this about how lula like projects the the happy jolly friendly brazilian like that 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 stereotype is when he's at his best what he's playing at bolsonaro is it's like so stark he he's not happy unless he's talking about killing torturing and, and murdering like yeah if it's not about you know humiliating someone else through means of torture or 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 saying things that are like you know disgraceful just for the pleasure of it like he's not happy if he's not doing that like it's it's weird 
he's only happy when he's talking about violence, you know? And, and you know, it, it's, like I said, the, the, the stereotype of the happy Brazilian has all its, all its problems mixed in, into it. But it, I, do, I do think there is something like fundamentally repulsive about having someone like that rep represent you, you know? Like, I don't mean this in, in, in a civility way. I mean, like, it, I, I, I do find that, you know, I find that like very disturbing, you know, it's, 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 just, it's not pleasant. And, and this has, I mean, this, uh, as you call it, I mean, this, this, this disregard for life um, for norms and conventions, etc. It's had a huge toll, um, right? So Brazil now has over 600,000 um, like official deaths from COVID-19. And in a, in, a, in a text you wrote for Prospect Magazine called Bolsonaro's Death Drive, you have this wonderful paragraph that says, a Brazilian death is above all unremarkable. A country with less than 3% of the global population has borne over 10% of reported COVID-19 deaths. The daily toll ho hovers around 3,000. It may yet, of course, grow further. And, and, and it didn't indeed grow, grow further, much further. I mean, at the time um, you, you, at the time you were writing this, um, the, the, death, uh, the number of deaths was approaching um, 400,000. Now it's, it's well over half a million, 600,000. What I mean, what was, what were the consequences of having a figure like Bolsonaro in charge of the country? Like, how how could, and and what was the kind of Brazilian reaction to this? Have people turned away? Have have part of the base that supported Bolsonaro, and and not not only his base, uh, you know, parts of the coalition he managed to to obtain, have they turned against him? Do you think? The coronavirus stuff, like, was quite bad for him. Um, it was bad. It was bad in a, in a personal level, uh, in terms of like personal approvals. But I, I think the the thing that really got to him was is inflation and, and the economics of it all, which is uh, sort of uh, sort of dark. Um, I, you know, I think that. It, it is undeniable that a lot of people who voted for Bolsonaro voted um, thinking of like the specter of the Workers' Party, which was so corrupt that it broke the country. You know, like the, the, that thing, that, that little like line hammered in their heads for a long time. I think that like a lot of people who had done that now we're going okay but you know what it wasn't that bad like like and also again it it's hard to paint lula like that because he was very successful as a president uh i think the the, the consequence like in terms of like you know i don't want to give the impression that bolsonaro was incompetent you know because i i think that like it's important that the this is always said when we're talking about the handling of the pandemic by Bolsonaro. He wasn't like making mistakes, like accident. No, he like he purposely like Pfizer sent three emails to them saying we want to make Brazil like our our you know our success case to the world. We want it, we, we 
we'll give the, the vaccines for free. We, we got to sign this term, but like, you know, it's working. We could do it. You can be leave this pandemic vaccinated early. And he ignored those vaccines, those emails. He undermined vaccine. He has not been like vaccinated, you know, like he he pushed like invented cures, like the, the, the those like what do you guys call it? Like the horse uh medicine, like like information. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he he was the one who pushed it first. Like he pushed it almost the whole year in Brazil before I started seeing the cases pop up in, in the US. Um, you know, and they, they still like, they, they, like there's still doctors who are, who are like, you know, his, his like followers who still like push that thing to, to unsuspecting patients in Brazil. They still, uh, it, it, it wasn't like, oh, this was a bad government handling a pandemic badly, which I think, you know, all governments in the world are going to have to have that reckoning with that thing. Like all of them made mistakes. Uh, this was a government purposely like, which did not believe in science, found science to be on the category of like, quote unquote, leftism. Um, and, and a government that like thought that like, Brazilian deaths were, it's not that we're indifferent, they were actively gloating with it. They, they were glad that those Brazilians were dead. You know, it, it's just, it's of a different category. Like, I would say like a, a different category even than Trump because Trump at least, you know, to everyone's surprise is like pro-vaccinations at least, you know? Um, it was just like another level of like mismanage. And so this this caused a lot of like personal animosity from people like nobody likes that. Um, uh, like his, his like approval ratings have like, are basically like, a, I think like 60% of the country disapproves of him. And then like, he has like approvals of, like around like 20, low 20s, uh, high 10s, something like that. But I think the thing that is like most damaging to him is the fact that like the economy like doesn't bounce back. Not only did he mismanage the, the, the pandemic, he also did not fix the economy. So, and if you count the, the Rusev years, you know, of, of like crisis, the country has been stagnant economically for for like almost 10 years now and so um it's not it's it's just like very very like hard to see how he gets reelected on on that sentiment um yeah it, it, that would be that would be the main consequence so it's, it's it's not that the pandemic itself caused trouble, although it did like a lot, but like, but, but also that the, the pandemic also created a, an economic panorama that like, it's not favorable to any government, but it's especially not favorable to this one. I mean, I think the, the, the necessary question now is given that uh, he's uh, behind in the polls and, and is up against a very popular figure, what, I mean, will, will Bolsonaro accept the 
uh, an election result where he loses. Um, and, and, you know, what, what I mean, maybe the first question is, um, will Bolsonaro try to bend electoral rules or the playing field? Um, and, and to what degree will, will electoral rules and, and the kind of fairness in Brazil hold? And, and then what will happen if, he, you know, if he loses the election? He probably will. Are people in Brazil expecting kind of uh, this kind of showdown where they have to contend with uh, a loser who does not consent? So, yeah, um, the, the, the vast, like, the vast like opinions that I that I've seen so far that you know that goes from like people on the street to like some people in the army like uh, the conversations that I've been having is that like the the the, the consensus seems to say to be that like he will not accept it but that like any attempts to like take over like would not be successful you know uh, that. You know, maybe he maybe he has like a fit and doesn't show up at the inauguration because that's you know that's how he like makes this point that the whole thing has been robbed and it has been like a fraud and etc. Or maybe he tries for like a January sixth style insurrection, or but like they, they they put the possibility of like actual democratic rupture like as very low. Because um, he basically doesn't have the forces that he need in place, um, and and you know there is there are people in the top brass in the army who don't like who like him and and think that he's right. But there's also forces who are like you know uh, it's not worth it for us to get involved with someone like this. Not, not for someone, there, there's like a, a general thought of like, not for someone like this, you know, which, which is the scary part because if he was, had been like smarter about it, like they, they might've been able to go along. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the view seems to be that like, he will play like all the, the traditional tricks, but that he will like, fundamentally not be able to like take matters forth um i do think that like that is sort of like an optimistic you know good versus evil view of like what this election is because i think that like the, <laughs> the thing about the selection the, the like life is like well you know it's not like a movie it's not like it's not going to be over once this thing like we're nobody gonna close a little book and then like you're never gonna see brazil ever again like actually people are gonna continue to live in brazil they're gonna continue to be there and so like what happens like once you have like a very hostile congress and an economy that like you know the president can't use his uh, third way model anymore because that model has been shot since the crisis and like you know and the economy isn't fixed in a year. So like what happens then? Like life continues to like life in Brazil will continue to exist in there. Like it won't like the country won't disappear. Uh, but you know, I, I would not say that like once you defeat this guy, there will be no more democratic tread. Um, 
but the 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 view overall was that like no Bolsonaro will try to undermine uh, trust in the process in some way and will try to like uh, protest his loss in an undemocratic way that he will not be successful ultimately. Yeah, it's, it's worth just uh, saying that I believe he's been trying to um, argue that um, voting machines are a um, conspiracy against him, <laughs> which is delightful. I think it's also, I think one of the things with like Lula's attempted moderation is that by attempting to moderate, obviously to some extent you're trying to win over Brazilian voters, and, you know, traditional political science, you move to the centre, you win kind of more, more, more support. Um, but also, to some extent, I wonder if that kind of moderation is an attempt to kind of find accommodations with elites like the army, trying to kind of make it so that, you know, it, it, so that it feels like, okay, maybe we don't like Lula, but he's not like some threat that we need to kind of try and react against. If he wins an election, that's fine. <laughs> um, and we don't need to kind of try and upend things to in, in response to it. It's like, it's it's very funny because like uh, The Economist, like every time that like somebody like right wing wins in, um, in Brazil, like The Economist goes, well, now they're gonna do pension reform. And it's funny because like the worst people like who do like pension reform, like who are due for pension reform is the military, which is like obviously like horrible. <laughs> like nobody can touch that stuff. <laughs> it's like, guess what? No, you can't. No, but yeah, yeah, I think there is like an attempt by by Lulich, like the thing is, the first trick was very hard to pull. You know, he made it look easy, but it was very hard to pull. The second trick. I think it's almost impossible to pull, but but you know, you know, I, uh, that we're worried about. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But like, but because you know, first of all, he's like, yeah, I think he's on track to like have a good victory against Bolsonaro, and that's that's what matters the most. Um, but yeah, it's it's gonna be like a very very difficult, uh, a very difficult government. The way I see it. Either he's going to try it for like a, a government that is fundamentally center. Let, let's call it like the 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 Tories plus. Let's call it that. You know, like like you know, because it would be very uh, it'd be very hard to like implement a, a a government that is like off the left under those circumstances. Mm. But if he if he tries for a government off the left. It's hard to see how he's how he does it, you know. Uh, mm. But but you know, it, it's that's too far ahead. That's like after the election. First, first he has to win. Yeah, and it will presumably depends somewhat on what Congress looks like. But as you've mentioned, Brazilian Congress does tend to be very fractured and tends to kind of end up with a lot of characters who perhaps aren't very easy to kind of get into line yeah <laughs> um, um so yeah that's something that's worth keeping in mind uh i have so many questions but i think that <laughs> you've answered the most important ones and, and i appreciate um your your time and and having come on to the podcast um, yeah, thank you very much 
Yeah, this is an election I think a lot of people are looking forward to. We are as well, with some anxiety, of course. Um, mm. It's a sort of cautionary tale of Brazil. And um, I don't know about so many things. Um, and 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 I really I'm really sorry to hear about kind of what that Bolsonaro is actually as bad as as he said he would be. This is the thing with these far right um, candidates, mm. right? Like I remember, you know, a lot of people said you know Trump won't be that bad. He was actually he actually did exactly what he said he was going to try to do at least. Yeah, um, yeah. It's that whole thing of like people during these elections. Like, I think in both cases, kind of just went. You know, don't take them literally. Like take them, take them. You know, they're just you know being pantomime. But take people at the word. So like when people tell you who they are, believe who they are. Believe it. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the lessons about about Bolsonaro and Trump's government. Um, Mm. It's it's been terrible. Thank you for writing such um such uh, kind of precise and and interesting pieces on that. It's it's Mm. a real real really good insight into into what's going on in brazil yes uh we'll, we'll try and i'll try to remember to post a link to one of your articles on Twitter.